Welcome to the Elevate Together podcast, voices of change in the business of law. Hello, this is Nicole Giantonio, the head of global marketing at Elevate. The podcast episode you're about to hear is part of our impact series featuring Elevate customers implementing transformative change. In this episode, Elevate Vice President Jake Hills talks with Strategic Resource Operations Senior Manager, GAT Legal Operations at Intel, Andy Krebs. Andy and Jake discuss groundbreaking legal cost savings initiatives being implemented at Intel. Andy, thank you for joining us. Intel is always at the forefront of legal innovation, so I'm excited for this discussion. If you don't mind, I would love to just dive in and ask you what change have you implemented that has made an impact at Intel? Jake, thanks for having me on. Intel, we've been looking at for a while how to optimize our overall legal department. And part of what we've done over the last year and a half is really start moving from having vertical practice areas to putting in a legal operations that's a true horizontal, right? So we've had a lot of different initiatives that have gone into this, mainly one of the big ones that we launched last year, which was redoing our outside counsel program. Part of that is looking at how our staffing matters, building out a decision pyramid type model. And we went out and renegotiated. We resegmented our firm base from where we had about 300. We got it down to 150 firms that we're utilizing over the course of the time. So we've cut our firm usage in half. We've really started moving into our preferred program, separating into a market service and a premium level. I'm trying to look at that as you know, not just the outside counsel, but then how do we do our flexible outsourcing? How do we look at making our program to be able to flex up and down as the needs, right? As we go through IDM 2.0 that you know our CEOs talked about, how do we support that? Some of the programs, for example, our legal professional outsourcing, which fits in our outside counsel program, is one that utilizes ALSPs and looking at lower cost models to help us up our staffing as needed, whether it's creating deal velocity, support of our contracts, that kind of stuff. And that's where we start utilizing firms at times like an elevator, elevate flex services around those type of matters. How do we flex our resources up and down as we need them? That's to us is huge because we don't necessarily know when the demand is going to be, right? Unfortunately, that's kind of one of our big strategies. It's a mindset change. It's a change management thing. And that's some of our big struggles there is how do you get them to look at outside of that? Those are a couple real high level. So you mentioned a couple different things from here. You talked about moving the legal ops group to a more horizontal across the legal department. You talked about reducing your outside counsel firms that you're using. And you talked about moving to a flexible outsourcing model. So I'm curious, was there one specific problem that you're trying to address? And were some of these unintended consequences of that problem you're trying to address? Were you trying to tackle each one of these areas and you're able to achieve each one of them? The fundamental issue that we see out in the legal market is the unsustainable increases, the year-over-year increases just because they all of a sudden require an X percent increase. It's unsustainable. There's nobody in the market, there's no other industry that really does that. Part of that is looking at how do we change that curve, right? How do we redirect the line instead of being a 45-degree angle type line? How do we change that? How do we make an inflex point and make a change into the process? And that's what really drove us there is looking at how do we do that? And that's what drove into the LPO. Is there a better way of doing it? Can we use our inside resources, other things like that? So primarily financial. And then also making sure we had the right resources, trying to have that flexible workforce. That's kind of what drove a lot of the changes. So you started at how can we reduce our costs or think about spending more thoughtfully on outside counsel? 
And it sounds like that resulted in a lot of these changes that were all for the better. It also sounds like there was a lot of change you had to implement across the department to reduce the number of outside counsel firms you're using. I imagine that is impacting a lot of your attorneys. I'd be interested in hearing you talk a little bit more about how did you go about implementing that process of change or how did you implement that change across the department and how did you get buy-in and was it a struggle to get buy-in? Thankfully, we did the data behind it and we built the support through our senior leadership, our executive leadership team, all the way up to the GC, having our support of our WGC and our GC and then all the vice presidents below that and have them as part of the program, right? So they help drive who we're going to use, who we looked at. And in fact, it was myself and WGC was going through and meeting with each of the groups that who do you want to use? And each group had to go and figure out their list that they wanted to go and use. And so we started pairing that down, allowed the attorneys and the groups to build the list. And then we went and vetted the list, negotiated the rates, made sure they met within our Intel diversity rule too, right? So that was a big thing that kicked off the January 1 of this year, which our diversity initiative, which is the firms had to meet certain qualifications for women and minority equity partners. Everybody bought in and, and then we rolled it out to the overall organization, right? So we did multiple sessions online, rolled it out, white papers, and just here's the pyramid, here's the model, here's how it's gone, here's why we're going to do it, here's what's going to save. And that really took a lot of the, the effort was that change management and getting there and getting people used to that. But they knew all the leadership from the top down were supporting it. And that was huge. And it sounds like it was a top down approach to change management. And so did you get any resistance from any of the attorneys? And if so, how did you deal with that resistance? Or was everyone good with it? I don't know if everybody was good with it. Doesn't mean you have to use these vendors, but depending on where they fit, you have to go get an approval from your manager, a VP, or potentially the GC. At a certain point, they're like, well, that's not worth it. We'll just go with it. It's a flexible list, right? It's going to flex it up and down depending on usage, which is okay. And that's where, on top of that, we rolled out really professional outsourcing a model to help do some of this flexible staffing to allow them to utilize their budgets to go farther. How do I get that service that they need that they would at times go to an outside council? But part of the conversation as well was how do we use our internal staffing better? We have a very large blue badge population that are attorneys. We could be potentially a top law firm in terms of the staffing and, and the quality of people we have. How do we get them doing what we want to do? And that's the reason they were brought on board was because they're awesome, right? It's how do we get rid of that tactical stuff, which is where that flexible outsourcing comes. How do we get the lawyers back to lawyering, right? How do we get them back doing what they really like to do rather than creating a, something in a CLM? We try to look at, okay, great. Can we bring more in-house? But then how do we relieve their burden of some of this transactional stuff? How did you determine whether your attorneys were doing some of that work that you're trying to bring in? Did you have a framework that you followed? Or did you have an approach that you took to say, attorney, this is what you should be doing. You should not be doing this type of work. RGC a few times had mentioned going out and getting outside counsel to write a memo or doing something like that. It's like well, that was part of it, building the trust. He's like, I trust you guys to write the memo, trust you guys to write the information. He's like, we hired you because of this. We don't need a second or a third opinion. And I think part of that is building that trust from the top down that we trust your work. You're highly qualified. Let's not go outside counsel for this stuff. Let's use them for the higher value, right sizing the outside counsel. That's really what we're trying to do. It doesn't mean we won't go outside, but it's where is that value and is it the right size of firm that we need? You talked about diversity initiatives, also leveraging the internal staff. What was the result? And are you measuring the success of the team? And how would you measure whether we got there or not, or whether it's successful or not? We started the journey 
with about 300 and some outside law firms that we're utilizing. I think we're under 140 now. So we've cut that about in half. We've done some significant savings. If you think on high level overall spends, we're probably a good 10% plus, which is a significant amount of money for us and overall savings last couple of years, which has been great in, in trying to look at that. Um, with our LPO, we're seeing on average almost a 60% savings rate from what we would traditionally would have paid. We're starting to see and track those, right? And we're getting phenomenal talent out in that flexible workforce model. Normally would think of having that talent only at a law firm, but there's a lot of folks that were at law firms and left to go hang their own shingle or decide to do something different that are brilliant. Let's tap into that network, which has been really phenomenal. Our staffing for those type of attorneys is up quite a bit. We've expanded that quite a bit over the year and that's continuing to grow. It's kind of snowballing right now and we're looking at retainer models and pushing as much work as we can to certain firms. And it's been really good and receptive and we're seeing the positive impacts in terms of the savings, the number of vendors we have to work with. To make sure I heard that right, you started this to address increase in spend and outside counsel. And did you say you're able to achieve a 10% savings in your outside counsel spend? Yes. That's incredible. Good work. It's been pretty good. 10% doesn't sound big, but it's a pretty large number out there. And it's nice to be able to go and do that. We're seeing that and pushing the envelope and we're getting great results with it. The quality hasn't deprecated and hasn't gone down. In fact, sometimes it's gone up and it's amazing. Like we're getting LPO for this. This is awesome, right? So that is where we're trying to drive. And, and now that as they see it, it's expanding faster. It's that snowball effect, right? It just takes a little bit of seeding and it goes. It's been really successful and a lot of fun. We're moving on to what's next, right? We don't want to stand still. On that, what is next? What is expected from the longer term impact of this change? More of a retainer model where we hear a certain amount, we can just send over what we can over to them. We've implemented that. We're implementing multiple bidding. So utilizing online technology for multiple bidding for matters. So that's been very successful. And at the point of a mandate, multi-bid matters over certain dollar amounts. So that's huge. So we're able to see that and expand that. And then and obviously getting into the analytics, right? What's that cost? What's that predictive insights? Here's how it should be staffed. Here's the cost based upon our analytics, which has driven us to change our billing platform too, to get more into the analytics. So that's another thing we've layered under there and then start doing that with them. And then with our analytics team added to our operations group last year, we've started building out the analytics capability. Uh, so we're building out a team that just does the analytics on matters, kind of a GC dashboard, all the different things, internal, external, and started looking at those and making some smart data-driven decisions at times. Analytics is such a hot button topic right now. So are there specific metrics that you're looking at to measure success? What's the potential exposure on a case? Here's what we're thinking. What's the matter? What the cost? What was the result? Looking at those. This type of matter should be costing this type of spend. So are we spending within the range? If we expect a matter of this type to cost 500 k why is it costing us 750 So we can look at that, right? So we can start looking at... And then timekeeper data mixes. How are they staffing? The organization. So that's huge as well, right? And then timekeepers to employees that we're utilizing. So we're looking at how are those doing and start looking at jurisdictions, judges, this type of matter in this jurisdiction with this judge, what's the potential outcome? Are we seeing any trends to make some predictions? Sky's kind of the limit. We're starting to dabble in that GC dashboard, obviously looking at our spends, headcount, overall spends, top matters. Are we trending high or low because we do an online bid? Doing a lot of our stuff is moving to alternative fee arrangements. Does a firm come in and lowball and all of a sudden later on, they want a bunch of change orders or do they come in a little high and we never see a change order. So we're tracking the trends of the firms as well. So we can look at that partner results, that kind of stuff. Interesting. And so how is the outside counsel responding to these metrics that you're bringing to the table now? 
We haven't rolled everything out to them yet. We're in the process of rolling out business review process with them formally. So they'll be doing that. So we'll have some qualitative and quantitative stats around that and show how they compare to their overall peers. Obviously, won't say who's what score, but here's where you score and here's where you rank because everybody else, that's kind of where we want to move it to so we can have a good dialogue and discussion. In terms of when we brought them into the program, they were very optimistic and things have been going well. They seem to be very positive. But a lot of times, honestly, they just want the feedback, right? You know, how do I get more matters? Well, it's how do I perform better, right? How am I performing in these type of metrics, right? Am I the person that's always invoicing incorrectly? Or am I always doing this or that? We can give them that feedback so they can have better opportunity, right? That's part of what we're looking at is providing the feedback. Feedback's a gift, whether it's good or bad. It's a way for them or us to make a change. And when we have that feedback in discussions, it's also asking them, what can we change? Right? Is there a better way that we can do it? It needs to be 360. You know, We don't know everything by any means. So it's a matter of, are there processes that we could do better? So we can make things more efficient for them. I don't want to have to do a whole bunch of RFPs and rounds. They automated. They liked it because it was quick, simple, and then get in and out. And it wasn't like 15 rounds of presentations type stuff, right? So we had a couple conversations, quick and easy. And then when we're done, we debrief. You know, here's why you didn't win the matter. Here's why you won it. We go through. So the next time they bid, they, they have some feedback around that. So that's what we're trying to do. When we're talking to customers in law departments, one of the fears that people have about gathering this data is that you're going to offend the law firm or you're going to offend the outside counsel by bringing this analytics. And it sounds like you've had the complete opposite experience where the law firm is grateful for that feedback and grateful that you're actually coming to them with useful information. As long as it's useful, they're always very thankful. They think they're doing great until you tell them. And typically, if there's a one-off comment and it seems really weird or odd for them, we'll go back and do research before we have that conversation. Right? We'll figure out why did that person make this comment? And so we try to dig into it to make sure it's not a one-off or you know, it was misconstrued or something was wrong. We do investigation as well in case there's anything bad, but typically there's not. So no, it's been positive. What about this change that you implemented? Was there anything about it that was surprising to you? At first, I thought the firms were going to be a little harder and get used to it. But you know, once they explained the concept, they were really on board with it. You know, we thought we were going to have to drag them a little bit more, especially the ones that we were able to move into our market range. We had some great names in there. We set goals for each of our tiers in terms of volume. Just having that conversation, someone really took it to heart, which was good. The overall adoption within our organization has been surprising and good. Even though it comes from top down, sometimes there is some resistance. I and mean, overall, it's been very positive. So that's been great. And the flexibility and the leadership from the Intel leaders has been phenomenal to give us powers to go make these changes, right? We present the data. And it makes some changes and we want to continuously evolve it, right? We're definitely not happy. And that's what's been surprising as well is, you know, we don't want to be stagnant, right? We want to keep moving. If you were to do it all over again, would there be anything that you would change about your approach, about the way that you engaged with your attorneys, about the way that you engage with outside counsel? Part of it is how do we manage all this stuff directly, right? So we've got a lot of internal requests and we have a process in place now to do that. I think the biggest thing, honestly, is we had senior leadership support. Without that, this would have struggled. Then looking at the data and understanding that you can correct course, right? We had some that we went in there. We thought they'd be at a certain level. They weren't. So we go have some conversations. We had some hard ones. Most of them were pretty positive. But you got to be ready to have some hard conversations. If you can't hit these numbers, I'm sorry. Or you don't have this diversity. We're sorry. This is the rule. In the past... The attorneys would negotiate the rates or negotiate the fee structures with the law firms, right? So now we've centralized that. So that's a key learning that centralized that through my team of how do we go about negotiating those, putting some discount structures, kind of leveling the play field. So you take that off of the attorney's plate, which is huge because that's that tough conversation that is really hard to have with your peers that now has been replaced with you know our team. And is looking at that is helping them have that hard conversation. We can do that. 
and still preserve the relationship. If you had the attorneys do the conversations, I think it's hard in the relationship. Now you got a centralized point. And so that to me would be a key learning. Yes, centralization is key. Having somebody buffer that hard conversation is important. How did the attorneys respond when you said, Hey, we're going to handle this discussion about the rates. We're going to take that away from you. How did they respond? Positive. I mean, obviously we still get some, Hey, I think they're worth this or that or this increase and we'll have a conversation, but overwhelmingly positive. It's a part of the role that I don't think they liked, but they did it. They were accepting rates. This sounds fair. Without the market data and the experts behind it, do you know if they're fair or not? That's part of it. They weren't doing anything nefarious. They were doing the best they could. Right now we have a team that looks at the data, looks at that and helps drive those changes and looks at what the market's doing and how rates are trending. We can have that conversation with the data behind it. And that helps. And it's really good. It really allows them to kind of decouple from that conversation. They can focus on the matter and the specifics of the matter. And we can focus on what's the cost. And is there anything surprising that you find when you're running these types of analytics about the pricing or anything that the attorneys have found surprising that you've come back and said, Hey, this time we're going to pay this amount for this timekeeper or this amount for this matter. Is there anything surprising that you've learned while looking into the data? We know there's some key experts out there, right? We know they're going to be expensive. Okay, fine. But it's looking at the general numbers, right? So what is that general number of the partners associates that you use for the 90% of the case? And let's talk about those. And where does that generate? Because that's most of your cost, right? Is those 90% people and it's that one or two experts that you have to have that are really expensive. Okay, they're probably not going to get as big a discount, but I'll take it on everybody else. And so it's looking and having that and trying to look at the data, how to segment the data to allow you to have that discussion on which ones to yeah, we're okay with that one being at that rate. But these other ones, we want to push them to here. Because if you look at their peers across the industry, here's where it is, right? Because you can backwards math and you can look at all the publications of the crevasses doing this for their bonus and this is their increases. And you can backwards math based upon what people are paying them into what they're announcing their salaries are and their bonuses to what their real margins are, right? So the one of the things that surprised me looking at it is what some of the margins were with these firms. Part of what we did is backwards math into potentially the overall gross margins and their net margins of what they're making. So then we had the conversations. We knew there was some potential room, right? So that's to me, was a little bit surprising metrics is looking at some of that stuff as well. Is there anything that you would be interested in doing next as part of this continuum that you're thinking about, you know, maybe for 2022 or beyond? Part of it is we're looking at with our retainer model, that's going really well right now. We're seeing how that works. We're working on some stuff, some different alternative fee arrangements, which should be exciting. We'll see how those go. And if they work well, we'll kind of announce what we've done. We've continued to expand. And what I want to do is start making um, kind of a centralized workspace type thing where an attorney comes in the day and here's where all the matters are. Here's all the firms. So basically a dashboard for them to be able to go into and see if I need somebody, here's how I can go search for them, right? That search functionality for firms and just kind of centralize a lot of this information for them to make their jobs a little easier. Right. And that's part of what I want to do is continue to build out that technical infrastructure as well as to continue to expand our flexible workforce as we ramp up for this IDM 2.0 and how do we support that. So it's looking at that and build that infrastructure, make processes automated, which is what we're trying to really do is automate as much as we can, whether that's operations doing the CLN automation, we're automating stuff online for our e-billing and, and how do we get rid of some of the stuff that was being done by humans, right? Diversity tracking. Instead of humans tracking it, having firms input the data so we can track just how do we continue to squeeze out hours out of the process and make things more efficient, allows our attorneys and everybody else to go do more things. And that's what we're continuing to look at. And that's 22, 23 is continue to build this infrastructure. It's still part of the three-year vision that we started in 20. And so that's part of where we're going is still much in there, how to combine systems, get rid of technical debt, 
consolidate stuff, get stuff into there, get the data right and out in front of everybody. That's something that I'm hearing a lot from other law departments as well is, you know, how do we create workflows for basically everything? And how do you determine where to focus that automation? How do you look at this process right here is this is some low hanging fruit. Uh, Let's go after this process. What do you do to determine which processes to automate? Some of the stuff we looked at is what are simple things that don't have a lot of changes? NDAs, an NDA process that we've automated. One of the teams on the operations group automated that a while ago using a workflow of automating the whole NDA process, automating contract authoring, that kind of stuff. Stuff that is pretty consistent and it's easy to automate. There's not a lot of variables. And I think that's there. Automating when rates come in and, oh, yep, they fit within this rate, automatically approved. Looking at, you know, how do we continue to use that? automated invoice review. How do we use an AI or machine learning to do that kind of stuff, right? So looking at technology. So when it gets to our lead attorneys to go and finally approve it, it's looking at it and say, it's already been vetted by this, this, and this. So I really have to look at the context then, right? So it gets rid of all the mundane stuff. So it's looking at that. How do we get rid of that stuff that we're spending hours? Data collection. That's another one. If we're out collecting data through an Excel template, why can't I put that in a tool and have a firm go and do it and consolidate it for us, right? Have a tool consolidated. So those are the type of things we're trying to drive today. So I mean, finance is collecting all the data, collecting all that budget data for matters. And we're setting up our tool now to be able to track that, right? So now we get rid of that usage of having Excel templates and manipulation to a tool, right? So now we've shifted that burden, which they were already filling out a template in Excel. They'll just fill it out online and it just eliminate all the work that we have to do on our side. I very much look forward to having this same conversation in 2024 where we can talk about how everything has been automated and it's a well-oiled machine, the Intel legal department. Andy, it's been wonderful having you here. It's been wonderful having this discussion with you. We've covered a lot of ground and it's been great. So thank you for, for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's been a good conversation. Exciting times. Tune in to the next episode of the Elevate Together podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and elevateservices.com.